<clears throat> I have been around for quite a while. As a matter of fact, I have sat in this chapel for 54 years every semester. And I've heard a lot of sermons. God is blessed. Uh, I appreciate my wife being here today. And I was afraid, so afraid, that Dr. Holmes would bring that metal bucket with him. <laughs> and even though I have uh, been privileged to pastor for 54 years and preach most every Sunday for 54 years, I'm very nervous to preach before you this morning. But we are looking to Psalm uh, 145 today as we think about the greatness of God, a psalm of worship. Uh, this psalm uh, could be considered as the new song of, of Psalms 96 and 1 that says, Sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. So this psalm, 145, does that. The psalm, this psalm is David's uh, jewel of praise, his crown jewel of praise. This is the last psalm uh, that has David's name associated with it in the title. Uh, a song of praise is uh, used only of this one. And so this holy hymn is characterized by praise. It's set apart for a specific purpose, much like uh, Psalm 86 is referred to as a prayer of David. It is uh, magnificent in its beauty. Uh, the psalm is uh, acrostic uh, and alphabetically arranged. Uh, this psalm has a special blessing associated with it, according to the ancient Israelites who uh, recited this psalm twice in the morning and once in the evening. A person who sang this psalm out loud three times, uh, three different times a day uh, would be happy. So this morning I want to uh, call your attention to seven different uh, truths that I see in this psalm. And as we go through them, uh, I, I hope to make some application uh, also to each uh, of those points. So we begin with verses 1 and 2 that says, I will extol or exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. So we're thinking this morning about the, God's position in these two verses. David adored Almighty God as his king above all kings. To exalt is to set on high above all others. It's... Uh, and it's the expression of the greatest, greatest possible admiration. And so the phrase forever means that David's praise has no end. But when he adds another ever to it, he forbids all idea of closing uh, praise to God. So our praise to, of God should be an etern as eternal as the eternal God that we worship. Do you remember the, uh, that praise is the only activity that we are called upon now that we will continue to do throughout eternity. We pray now, but there will be a time when our prayers will no longer be needed. We believe now, 
but there shall be a time when our faith will be lost in sight. We uh, hope now, but the uh, time is coming uh, when what we hope is uh, going to be fulfilled and we will see God face to face. But praise is something that we do now and we will continue to do it throughout eternity. So we are to praise him, not just on Sunday, but as uh, these verses say that we are to praise him every day, regardless of how low our, how our days are, whether we are up and upbeat on the day, we're to praise him, or whether it's a dark day for us, we are still to praise our God. C.S. Lewis said, we praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it uh, completes the expression uh, or the enjoyment. So Lewis continued to say, it is not our out of, it is not our compliment that uh, to lovers that uh, really counts uh, of talking about it, but it's really showing them that we love them. And so it is with, with God to show him that we, we love him and we praise him because of his, of his greatness, of his being the great king. And so then the, he desires and deserves our daily praise uh, forever. That's his position. And the second truth is that Rock David is God's power. And we see that in verses 3 through 6. Great is the Lord and more worthy to be praised. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend uh, your works to another and they will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. Our worship should be in the same way as the object of our worship. A great praise for a great God. There is no part of God's greatness which is not worthy of great praise. Charles Spurgeon has said, praise may be said to be great when the song contains great matter and when the hearts producing it are intensely fervent. And when uh, large numbers unite in the, great, uh, in the grand acclaim of its greatness. So no chorus or hymn is too loud. No band or orchestra is too large. No psalm is too lofty for the lauding of the worship of our God. Uh, while God is great, David recognized that no one can fathom his power completely. He said in Psalms 139 and verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And so when we uh, contemplate the immensity of our triune God, uh, we find ourselves surrounded by unknowable wonders, his unsearchable greatness. Uh, Paul put it this way in Romans 11 and 33, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing out. So when we understand what we can 
We're challenged to pass along what we know to the next generation, according to these verses. Specifically, we're uh, to tell those who are younger about God, about his works, about his mighty acts. And God, uh, a parent, uh, as parents, we are to praise God before our children and to remind them that the ways that we have seen God work in the past and each generation is to catch the praise from the last and echo it and then pass it along to the, their family. Psalms 44, 1 through 3 says, O oh God, we have heard your, our, with our ears. Our fathers have lo- told us what deeds you performed in their day, in the days of old. You went, you with your own hand, drove out nations by them you planted your affliction you afflicted the peoples by them you set free for not by their own sword did they win the land not nor did their own arm save them but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face for you delighted in them therefore It is a biblical duty of every generation of Christians to see that uh, the next generation hears about the mighty acts of God. God does not just uh, drop a Bible from heaven on every generation. Uh, He intends for the older saints to teach the the newer saints uh, to think and to trust and to obey and to enjoy. I want you to notice that verse 4 does not say that we are merely to teach his works. It says that we are to commend your works to another. That means that we pass along our, our praise to them by commending the attractiveness of God. We must not only aim at education, but also uh, focus on exhilaration. Uh, if teachers and parents do not exalt God in their teaching, then They uh, cannot uh, pass along to the next generation uh, that will cause them to care about God. The aim of all education is exaltation. Our passion and desire ought to be that all of our young people would be radically surrendered to Jesus and radically committed to his cause of world evangelization. What we want from our next generation is not just heads filled with right facts, Uh, but we want our next generation to have an intense love for Christ, a devotion to him, which explodes into uh, unbridled, ecstatic praise. In this stanza of this psalm, David also speaks of our generation commending uh, your works to another. And so this statement does not mean that uh, the stories of God uh, past will be passed by uh, the redeemed community, though that's true, but that each generation of believers will add to the old story the account of what God has done for them. You see, God continues to act for us and in us. Our recognition of this truth and our confession of it are part of the praise that we offer to God. In verse 5, it gives us one way to make sure that that we stay fresh 
in our walk with Christ so that we can commend God's works to the next generation is through meditation on all of God's wonderful works. Biblical meditation has three main objects. One, to think about what God is like. Two, to remember what he has done. And three, to contemplate what he has said. Psalms 92, 1 and 2 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your, to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. So meditation will renew your mind so that you can think and act more like Christ. So the application of this point is that we are to discipline our children. The third is God's personality. And we find that in verses 9, 7 through 9 and verse 17. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and loving toward all that he has made. In this section of the psalm, David describes the multifaceted beauty of God's personality. As we think about God's personality, uh, listen to the words that he uses. Goodness, righteousness, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, good to all, righteous and loving. These attributes help us to see what kind of God he is and how he deals with his people. I read about a TV commercial that appeared some time ago. It simply showed a series of people who had one thing in common, a nasty injury or scar, a cowboy with a huge scar around his eye, a young man with a cauliflower ear, another with a horrible uh, callous foot. In the commercial, there was no explanation at all. Simply the Nike swoosh and the words, just do it. Well, the ad was analyzed and criticized by a lot of people as being incomprehensible and extreme. But the key to the controversial commercial lay in the background music, which was Joe Crocker singing, You Are So Beautiful to Me. Who was Joe Crocker? Well, he was an English singer who was known for his gritty voice and spasmodic body movements in his performance of popular songs, who, who died in 2014 at the age of 70. And so it is that, you know, some of us are not all that good looking. And some of us have, some people all have some deformities and some handicaps. But I truly believe that in God's sight, they're beautiful. Amen. In Exodus 34 and 6, Moses asked to see God's glory, uh, meaning that he wanted to see him face to face in his splendor. But God said that he would not be able to show Moses his face. No one can see that his face and live. But God would proclaim his name to Moses. The essence of this revelation 
is the meaning of God's name. His name, of course, is Jehovah, which means I am who I am in Exodus 3.14. If we go beyond the mere definition of God's name to ask, but what is I am? What's it like? Well, the answer is I am compassionate, I am gracious, I am slow to anger, I abound in love and faithfulness, I maintain love to thousands, and forgive, forgiveness to wicked, rebellious, and sin. Exodus 34, 6, and 7. And because this is how God deals with us, verse 7 tells us, verse 7 of our text tells us that to celebrate and to joyfully sing praise to him because of who he is. Psalms 36, verses 5 and 8. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your habitation to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save. O Lord, how precious is your steadfast love. O God, the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the uh, abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the rivers of delight. And then Psalms 86 and 5 says, For you, O Lord God, are good and forgiving, abundant in steadfast love to all who call upon you. So the point here is, in God's personality, that we are to celebrate his attributes. Fourthly, uh, the fourth element is God's preeminence, that we or see in verses 10 through 13. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the gracious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all that he has made. The main point of this section is that God is important. It's not that God is important and prominent, but the main emphasis is that God is preeminent. He is over all because he made everything. All creation will praise him and his saints, that's you and me, uh, will extol him as number one in our lives. God has no rivals. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, David referred uh, reference here is uh, to the broadest use of the kingdom in Scripture. That is, God, the eternal King, is ruling over all from before creation and throughout eternity. Psalms 10, 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. Daniel 4 and 3, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. So we should live in light of that fact. We praise him for his works around us. And we will go on to bless him for his works within us. It is a work of God's grace that we come to see the necessity of his rule. If we do see it. 
Nebuchadnezzar took the glory of God to himself when he looked out over the city of Babylon and he declared in his pride, uh, is this not the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my might and and power and for the glory of my majesty? Daniel 4.30. So God judged his this king for his arrogance. He deprived him of his sanity and caused him to be driven out to live with the beast of the field and even made him to be, behave like them. He lived with them, those animals, for seven years. But at, the, at last, Nebuchadnezzar learned this lesson. And when he did, he praised God in the words of this very psalm on verse 13. Then I praised the Most High. I honored the glory and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom is, endures from all generations to generations. So what a person has learned, uh, when a person has learned the, this lesson, uh, they have learned much. It is even more uh, important to become grateful, the grateful subjects of God's, in God's kingdom through Jesus Christ. We, we uh, read of uh, Jesus' kingdom in Revelation, uh, verse, chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, referring to Jesus that says, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men of God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And much like what we discover in Psalm 96, once we praise him for his preeminence in our lives, we will want to tell others about the glory of his kingdom. When we speak freely of God's might, uh, verse 12 of our text says, All men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. So David is saying that there is a direct link between our heart and our tongue. We speak about what is on our heart. Some people really like to talk about sports. Others talk a lot about family and some talk about parties and some talk about their lawn and their, their cars and their house and still others focus on words about the weather if you want to know what someone holds dear just listen to what they talk about proverbs sixteen twenty three puts it this way a wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promotes instruction if our hearts are set on wisdom and praise our mouths will speak accordingly. If our hearts are set on other things, and that's what will come out of our mouths. So that is why Proverbs 4.23 challenges us to guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Listen, if our hearts were full of God, then our tongues wouldn't be able to stop talking about him to others. Joe Aldridge's definition of evangelism is this. Evangelism is what spills over when you bump into somebody. If we truly want verse 12 to be fulfilled and to have men know of his mighty acts, then it's imperative that we cultivate a lifestyle of protracted praise and devotion and adoration. 
Then when we bump into others, our words will flow and our hearts will spill over with his love and grace. I read in our daily bread that someone said, if Christians only praise God when he had helped, uh, uh, then the world would be a different place if we only praise God. So here is the application of point number four. Because God's, of God's preeminence, we will tell others about him. In verses 14 through 16, we see God's provision. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their, look, their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. This uh, section follows the unlimited power and preeminence of God with its emphasis upon his provision. Uh, while God is extremely powerful and awesome, he is tender and locked into the needs of his people. Have you fallen recently? Are you bowed down with the weight and problems of difficulties? If so, then turn your eyes upon Jesus and he will provide what you need. Look up. Note the word picture in Matthew 12 and 20 that says when Jesus refers to how to deal with hurting people, he quotes from Isaiah and says, a bruised reed he will not break and smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So God does not willingly withhold any good thing from his children. David praised him for his open hand and satisfied the desires of every living thing. And this is also a wonderful picture. Uh, instead of giving grudgingly or a little at a time, God takes his hand and opens it completely to us. Derek uh, Kidner uh, calls this section God the provider in verses 13 through 20. He notes four ways in which God provides for his creation. One, he helps the inadequate, verse 14. Two, he gives food to all creatures, verses 15 and 16. Three, he answers those who pray, verses 18 and 19. And he protects those who are his, verse 20. So how does God demonstrate his faithfulness? Well, he does it by keeping his promise and by caring for his creatures, verse 13. And when we fall, he lifts us up, verse 14. And when we are bowed down by distress, he restores us, verse 14. And when we are hungry, he provides food, verse 15. And when we look to him with our hands open, empty, and held out, he satisfies us with good things, verse 16. God does this for human beings, of course. But what the psalmist seems to be saying here is that he does it for all creation, which includes the animal kingdom. And so in verse 13, it talks about to all he made. In verse 16, it talks about every great living thing. So that is a, a great promise. But the promise of God to his redeemed people are much greater. What uh, the animals need from God is food. Men and women uh, need many things, but what we need most of all is God. St. Augustine said in his confessions, Thou hast uh, formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. So God promised to give us himself 
if we will come to him through Christ. Then he also meets every other right desire that we may have. God uh, says in Philippians in uh, 18, in Psalm 81 and 10, open thy mouth and I will fill it. He says in Philippians 4.19, Paul did, My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And because God is good to all, uh, Psalms 150 and verse 6 says, Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. So God has, his, God has hands full of good things for us. And when we are wiped out, stressed out, and maxed out, we want to look up to him. And he will not stop us while we're down. And, but he will tenderly give us exactly what we need. So we will, uh, when we have problems, we can look to him and know that he cares for us. And so we see that in God's provisions that we can trust him with our problems. In verses 18, 19, uh, we see God's presence. The Lord is near all who call upon him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears the cry of and saves them. So while God is king of the universe, he is also very near us. Uh, when you are feeling alone, David reminds you that you are never alone. Notice that he, in verse uh, 18, that he says that, he is near to all, not just a special few. Uh, some might feel that God has, is mad at them, and they might have been disqualified because of some sin in their life, but that's not, that God is still near to, even to them. So he is near to all with one qualifying, one qualifier, however. He is near to all who call upon him in truth. To call upon him in truth is to recognize that the only way to God the Father is through His Son. So if we have been born again, uh, you can call upon Him in truth. If you are a member of the family of God uh, through conversion, you enjoy the privilege of that relationship with a loving Father who will always be near you. As Steve Curtis Chapman says, in the gospel we discover we are far worse off than we thought and far more loved than we ever dreamed. In addition to call on him, in truth means that you are willing to be honest and open to him. It means that you are not living a lie or just going through the motions of your spiritual life. So when you call on him in truth, he will fulfill your desire and hear your cries for help. No one has ever cried out to Jesus and not been heard. John Calvin once said, Oppression and affliction make me cry, and cries and supplications makes God hear. And so because of God's presence, we can pray to him. And finally, in verses 20 and 21, we see God's perseverance. We, uh, the verse says, The Lord watches over all who love him, and all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak praise to the, of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. So God uh, perseveres uh, those who he say, with those he saves, and he uh, will judge those that are not saved. 
So the, the most comforting, that, that is most comforting and frightening. If you have been saved from your sins, if you have been born again, uh, then you can have the confidence that God will watch over you and he will usher you into his presence when you die. You can be assured of your salvation as we read in 1 John five thirteen. I write these things unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So friends, when it comes to making it to heaven, it will have nothing to do with our uh, cleverness or creativity. If we are saved, we will survive and live with him forever. Not based upon what we do, but based upon what Jesus did for us. It's upsetting to me that while God watches over believers, he will destroy those who insist upon going their own way. And that ought to give us a great motivation to tell people about Jesus. The final verse of this canticle of praise repeats the opening chorus. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. So David does not have a monopoly on praise. He longs for every living person to praise God and worship him. And because of God's perseverance, we are therefore called to cultivate a lifestyle of praise. Now let me summarize those seven points. One, because God, of God's position, I will praise him daily. Two, because of God's power, I will disciple my children. And three, because of God's uh, personality, I will create, I will celebrate his attributes. And because of God's preeminence, I will tell others about him. And because of God's provision, I will trust him with my problems. And because of God's uh, presence, I will pray on a regular basis. And finally, because of God's preservation, I will cultivate a lifestyle of praise. So our words are important. We have the opportunity to, to use them in praise to God, or we can carelessly end up uh, doing far more damage than we think. The, other, the overriding message of this sermon is praise God with everything that you have, whether you like it or not. I read uh, of a Christian conference that took place some time ago that was held in the church in Omaha, Nebraska. People were given helium-filled balloons and told to release them at some point in the service when they felt like expressing the joy in their hearts. All during the services, balloons ascended. But when the services were over, one-third of the people were still holding on to their balloons. So we don't need to hold back, but let us praise, let us rise up and praise him. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen.